I certainly appreciate the uh, message that Brother Tim has brought to us this morning. I don't think you'll have any problem remembering it. If you just uh, paid attention with men, this is impossible, but all things are possible with God. That's a great statement that the Lord made. I hope you'll pray for Tim, uh, that he might uh, feel the guiding hand of the Lord, whatever the Lord may have in store for him, uh, as he works his way uh, through, through this. So please pray for him, and of course pray for me, and pray for everyone in our church. This morning I'd like to take a look at a miracle that's oftentimes overlooked in the scriptures found in Mark chapter 1. So we'll be taking our remarks this morning mainly from this chapter, the first chapter of Mark. In this chapter you're going to find where the Lord Jesus Christ goes to the house of Simon and Andrew and apparently Peter's mother and Peter's mother-in-law. And James and John will go along with him. Now before we get into the details about that, uh, I want to go back and just say a few things about the Gospel of Mark and review just a few things leading up to it in chapter 1. Mark is one of four Gospels, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As you read these four Gospels, uh, while they oftentimes will record the same event from different perspectives, uh, you're going to find they're all four are different. They start different. They end different. Um, the Gospel of Matthew is mainly about the Lord as King, King Jesus and His Kingdom. The Gospel of Luke is about the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of Man, as Luke gives us details about the birth of Christ, the early days of Christ. He's the only one that records the life of Christ when Christ was 12 years of age. And Luke was a physician, and therefore uh, certainly it was very appropriate the Lord used him to write that Gospel, but it presents him as the Son of Man. And then the Gospel of John we find where the Lord used him to present Jesus as the Son of God to show forth his divinity. You have Luke showing forth his humanity, John showing forth his divinity. Uh, we have Matthew showing forth his kingship and kingdom. So we come to Mark. So what about Mark? Mark is the gospel of service. It presents the Lord Jesus Christ as the servant of God. Remember Isaiah 42, 1, it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold. My servant, in whom my soul delighteth. Jesus came forth as, yes, the Son of God, who became the Son of Man. He was Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But He came as a servant, the servant of all servants. And the Jews had a problem with this. It was a stumbling block. How could this man be a servant and yet be a king? Because in man's world, a servant is not a king. And a king is not a servant. You can't hold both offices, so to speak. But Jesus did. He's Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and the servant of all servants who've ever served here upon the face of this earth. So that's what the Gospel of Mark is going to emphasize uh, as you read his Gospel. Now in this first chapter you'll find where it opens up with John the Baptist and his life and the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a lot of detail about it. And after Christ is baptized, we find Christ beginning to preach His own everlasting gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then the Lord comes along the Sea of Galilee, and He sees two men. He sees Andrew and Peter, or here referred to as Simon, and they are fishermen. And we find that they are washing their nets. And He goes a little further and He sees two other men. He sees James and John, and they are mending their nets. And he speaks to these four men. Now you've got two sets of brothers here who work together 
working for the father of James and John, who is Zebedee. And Zebedee had servants, so it's pretty apparent that he was successful in the, in the fishing business. And this is how they earned their livelihood. Most likely of the 12 apostles, at least seven of them were fishermen. We know Luke was a physician uh, and so forth and so on. But we know probably at least seven of these men were fishermen. And so the Lord, as he walks by the Sea of Galilee, he says, come and follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. That expression, fishers of men, was a common uh, expression of that day in which the philosophers and teachers, uh, well-known teachers, uh, would try to use bait, so to speak, to capture the minds of those who were in his audience. But we'll we'll pass on that perhaps till next Sunday or to another time. And so the Bible says that they immediately forsook their nets and followed Jesus. That's a miracle within itself. That's what they I like to speak from time to time of the overlooked miracles. Some miracles are just plain and clear cut, no question about it. But what other man could have come and talked these four men and leaving their profession immediately? The Bible says a straightway, and that's what the word straightway means. It's used quite often in Mark's gospel. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed Jesus. I mean, immediately there was no pause. There was no delay. There was no hesitation. There was no say, well, get back with me in a week and I'll give you an answer. And none of that. They immediately forsook their nets and followed Jesus. That, my friends, is a miracle. And then these men went into the synagogue. Now, the synagogue came into existence back during the Babylonian captivity. And the synagogue was a place of worship in contrast to the temple. The temple was a place where the offerings and the sacrifices was made. Again, notice the distinction, the difference here. Uh, we find in the synagogue where they met and they, they sang hymns, psalms primarily, and they had the reading of the scripture and a, a lesson would be taught from it. And there were synagogues in various towns throughout all the land of Palestine. And they had popped up. You had to have at least 10 men above the age of 12 to establish a synagogue. You had a committee, you might say, of elders and you had a chief ruler of the synagogue. And then they would usually invite the visiting a minister or someone in the religious realm to come and give a lesson from the Old Testament. And that's basically what the synagogue was. And Jesus spent a lot of time in the synagogue. Jesus spent a lot of time teaching on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. The Apostle Paul likewise took advantage of this during his earthly life in ministry. And so we finally went into the synagogue. And while they're in the synagogue, there's a man who has an unclean spirit. And the Lord will rebuke that unclean spirit. And that unclean spirit will leave, but not before he tears the man, not before he does some damage, but he obeys the command of God and he leaves that man. And it might seem kind of strange and odd that in a synagogue where they've met to worship God, where they have the reading of the scriptures, etc., in prayer, that there would be a man with a demonic spirit there, but he was. And we notice it was more than one demonic spirit in him because he says he rebuked them. And so when he rebuked them and commanded the unclean spirit to come out, he did. And they were astonished at what Jesus did. Of course, they were always astonished at what Jesus did. That's how the seventh chapter of Matthew ends, the Sermon on the Mount. When you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, it ends with saying that they were astonished at his words. And with authority did he teach. Jesus Christ had authority. The scribe spoke from authority. That was the difference between the scribes and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people noticed the distinction and noticed the difference. 
So the people were astonished at what he said and what he did. The words of Christ and the deeds of Christ, the works of Christ, always go hand in hand. Always remember this. His words will never contradict his actions. His action never contradicts his words. So they were astonished at his words and also his works that he did there in the synagogue. Now, they leave the synagogue on the Sabbath day. This is all the Sabbath. And they go to the house of Andrew and Peter. Now, we notice here that when Andrew and Peter left, they didn't leave James and John and Jesus behind. They didn't leave them behind. James and John, yes, were their partners in the fishing business, but they've become more than just partners in the fishing business. Now they were going to work together as disciples, apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, and becoming fishers of men. I spoke a couple weeks ago on the 12 apostles. Don't want to get back into any of that right in the moment. But nevertheless, we find here where they go into the house of Simon, Peter, and Andrew. Now, they just didn't, you know, go in on their own. They were invited in. Andrew and Simon, who is Peter, invite James and John and Jesus to go with them. Now, when you leave the house of God, how many times do you leave the house of God and leave Jesus behind? You ever thought about that? They didn't leave Jesus behind. They took Jesus with them. I'm sure that Simon and Andrew were men of gracious hospitality. But when they get there, you're going to find that Peter's mother-in-law is very, very sick with a fever. All right, now, I want to back up just a moment, though. We didn't leave Jesus behind. They invited Jesus to come along. When you leave the house of God, you should never leave Jesus behind. Now, this is the house of the Lord right here. This is Jesus' house. When we meet on Sunday, as we have this morning, we meet to see one another and worship together. But we should be praying that the Lord will be with us and manifest His presence. I know it's His house. And as I've said before, I, if I will go to see you, I guarantee you I will contact you before I get there. I do not want to waste a trip. I don't want to get there, ring the doorbell, and no one's home, right? No one's home. Now, when I was growing up as a boy, uh, very seldom did you have to call him. But I, first of all, didn't even have telephones. I guess that's telling on me a little bit here. But anyway, back when I was first born, there were no telephones. And that didn't take long after I came in this world, they began to have telephones. And you had four party lines and six party lines and eight party lines. Remember those days? Some of you do. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. And I remember there was this one lady in the community. She, everybody knew her as Aunt Patsy. And so if you wanted to get on the uh, make a phone call, you knew Aunt Patsy was going to be on it. So you had to pick it up and say, Aunt Patsy, do you mind uh, getting off the phone for just a little bit? Oh, no, no, not a bit, not a bit. And I said, well, I won't be long, and you can get right back home. So that's the way telephones work. We've gone from that to cell phones and iPhones today, right? That's what we've gone to. I don't know if it's better or for worse. But anyway, that's, that's where we're at. At least you've got to talk to your neighbors that way, all right? So anyway, uh, we find that they're going to take the Lord Jesus Christ home with them. Now, when you leave the house of God, don't leave Jesus behind. Take him with you in the car. On the way home is a great time to discuss what I preached, good or bad. It's a great time to discuss what I preached, okay? And especially with your children. And, uh, you know, I asked one of the grandchildren the other day, I said, I asked him a question and, about what I preached, and he didn't have the answer. I said, in other words, you were there in body, not in mind. Is that right? He said, well, I guess so. So I'm going to ask that same grandson today. He's here and he knows which one I'm talking about. So I'm going to ask him that again today. I do not want the same answer. 
All right, you take the Lord Jesus Christ with you. You take him home with you. You remember the 24th chapter in the Gospel of Luke, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? We find the Lord is walking the road to Emmaus, joins himself up with two there that do not recognize him because their eyes are holding. And they're walking along together, and they're discussing the events of the day, which was the events of the trial and crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally they ask the Lord, are you a stranger here in these parts? Do you not know what's been going on? Well, they're asking a man, does he not know what's going on, who knows all things, never been acquainted with anything? And he is the man they've been talking about, but their eyes are holding where they don't recognize him. But then we find where they come to toward the end of the day. And the Lord made like he would continue on his journey, but they constrained him to stay. The evening was well spent. They constrained him to stay. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who started off as a guest in that house, becomes the ruler of that house. The Lord will bless that meal and their eyes will be opened, their hearts will burn, and they will say, did not our hearts burn within us while he was yet with us? Had they not brought the Lord home with them, they would not have had the heartburn experience that they had. If the Lord Jesus Christ was left behind once they come out of the synagogue, they would not experience the blessing that they're going to experience here in the household of the apostle Peter. Now, Peter was associated with miracles as much as any man in the Bible. The apostle Paul was a recipient of many miracles. But he was also a man that the Lord used to perform many miracles. And you know, it must have been an amazing thing to walk in the footsteps of the Apostle Peter. It must have been an amazing thing to live the life of the Apostle Peter. I know from time to time we like to, you know, joke about Peter always speaking when he should be quiet and one thing or another. And I've said you could not be a legitimate New Testament church if you didn't have at least one, one you know, person like Peter in the congregation. But I've also said we don't need two or three. One will do it, okay? And so the Apostle Peter, uh, you know, uh, was a man, uh, one of the most interesting characters in the Bible. But how was it to walk in his footsteps and almost on a daily basis see a miracle? Certainly on a weekly basis, but probably on about a daily basis. Every day you live, you see a miracle. Do you think you've ever witnessed a miracle in life? I, I have. I have no question in my mind I've witnessed miracles. Brother Bill, Sister Shirley would testify to that. Uh, it's getting almost a year ago since they went through that tornado, right? They're here this morning. By the grace of God, they're here this morning. They're, they're a walking example of a modern-day miracle. Or what if you saw a miracle every day? What if on a daily basis you saw somebody that was blind have their eyes open? What on a daily basis you saw somebody that was deaf have their ears open? You know, almost every single day, what about if you were on a ship in a great storm and the Lord Jesus Christ simply calmed the, calmed the waves and calmed the sea and you witnessed that? What about when he got out of the ship to walk to Jesus and Jesus took him by the hand and saved him from drowning? I mean, almost daily during the ministry of the, of the apostle Peter, before the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and even after his resurrection, Peter's ministry, he was a man associated with miracles. How would, can you imagine that? You know, I just thought about that the other day. You know, I, I don't know I could, what I'd do myself. I mean, <laughs> uh, would it get old? I, I trust not because the experience of the Lord in you every morning, right? The Bible says that God has made everything new. Uh, that's why, you know, the sun can look as brilliant and amazing uh, today as it did 20 years ago. And that's why the moon can look so beautiful today, tonight, as you've ever seen it in your entire lifetime. Because it's the creation of God. That's why you can come to the house of God and hear a man week after week after week like myself 
And, and hopefully you feel like it's the first time you ever heard me. You know, if, if, if the study time is there, it, it should be refreshing to the Lord's people. The Lord makes everything new. You know, and, and that's the way it ought to be with husbands and wives even. Each day is a new day to discover new things about your bride. I'm still learning things about Karen. We've been together 52 years. <laughs> uh, amazing, isn't it? Amazing. So Peter was this type of man. And so Peter is going along with Andrew, their brothers. Now, if you study this, you can study John chapter 1, you'll find this is... Uh, Mark 1 is not the first time that Peter and Andrew got acquainted with the Lord. You go to John chapter 1, you'll find where Andrew actually induces his, uh, introduces his brother Simon uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ at that time. Some time has passed. You have to, you know, compare these things pretty carefully. So this is not the first time. So they leave that synagogue. They don't leave Jesus behind. They don't leave James behind and John behind. Uh, you know, I, I grew up where... Uh, just about every Sunday, we always went home with somebody. Somebody went home with us. And if there was somebody visiting with us, we never left them there without inviting them to our home. My mother and dad were very gracious in giving the hospitality. No telling how many people we entertained in our home growing up. Uh, preachers and non-preachers and, and people. If there was somebody uh, visiting our church, we didn't just let them leave there without uh, making sure they had a place to go and something to eat or whatever. And, you know, we've kind of gotten away from some of these things. I think it's so very important. Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and Peter's mother-in-law, and if he had a mother-in-law, he had a wife, right? I'm going to say more about that in a minute. All right? Now, she is his mother-in-law, so that means she, he had a wife. But I also believe this was a family that was given to hospitality. This indicates that. If you go to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, you'll find there was a woman uh, who always took time to entertain the man of God, which was Elisha in that day, as he came by. And finally she decided we need to do a little more than that. She talked to her husband about it. Her husband was always in the background. She's a spiritual giant here, but at least he doesn't hinder her. And he agrees with her that they ought to do a little bit more than this. So they built a room onto the house. And in that room, you got a table and you got a chair and you got a candle and you got a bed. Uh, four things that's uh, needed. You might say in the necessities of life, you need a chair to sit in, you need a table to eat off of, you need a bed to rest in, you need a, a lamp for light, right? So she provided all these things for the man of God. She went a little further. She, this is a picture, I think, of growing in grace and knowledge of the truth and making applications of the teachings of the Word of God in the realm of discipleship. She was a woman, she was, the Bible does not give us her name, but it tells us she was a great woman. She was a great woman for various reasons. That's another sermon within itself. But one of the reasons she's a great woman because she was given to hospitality. Romans 13, 12 says that we're to be given to hospitality. 1 Timothy 3 and 2, it says concerning a minister of the gospel, one of his qualifications is he must be given to hospitality. Titus 1 and 8 ministerial qualification says he must be a lover of hospitality. So it starts here in the pulpit, right? Uh, must be given to hospitality. Must be a lover of hospitality. If you go to 1 Peter 4.19, the Apostle Peter says that we're to use hospitality. That means it's not something we talk about. It's something we actually practice. We use hospitality without grudging. We don't only just obey the, the command of God to use hospitality. Uh, we've got to have the right spirit about it, right? 
The Lord, the Lord expects us to be happy about it and not do it in glory. We don't have to say, well, the Bible says I've got to be given to hospitality, so I guess I'll invite somebody home. No, the Lord, that's what the Lord's saying right here. Peter says you do it without grudging, all right? It's like Paul talking about giving. As a man so purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly. On the sense of God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Now, you've got three givers there. You've got the, you know, not grudgingly or necessity. You've got the mad giver. You've got the sad giver. But thank God you've got the glad giver. And I hope we're all glad givers today, right? And uh, so our attitude about these things is, is extremely important, as well as the act of what's under consideration. So we have here an example of biblical hospitality. And that our homes ought to be open to God's people and to share with them what the Lord has done for us, how the Lord has blessed us. We can share, of course, in various ways and different ways and everything. But you find here where Peter and Andrew, his brother, uh, I like to see two close brothers, don't you? I've, I've got one brother in the flesh. Uh, no sisters, just he and I, and we're six and a half years apart. And growing up, he could really make me mad. He can really make me mad because, and I'm sure I, I made him mad a lot, but always uh, being in the way, in the way. And I got so mad at him one time, I don't know, I was about six, seven years old, and I just uh, reached over and got a hatchet and took off after him. And thank God he was six and a half years old and he could run twice as fast as I could and he got away. Thank God he got away. <laughs> I hate to admit that. But now uh, my brother, Gerald, he says sometimes when I'm where he's at and I'm preaching, he's looking up here at me, he has flashbacks. <laughs> he said he has flashbacks and he can't hardly believe, can't hardly believe that uh, the person he's seen up here in the pulpit is that little fella running after him there on the farm one day because he got so mad at him. But I like to see people and families be close together, right? You know, Esau and Jacob, you know, I spoke about Jacob being a lover of mercy last week. Uh, let me just reach back there just for something right here. You're going to find when they was gone from each other for 20 years, when Jacob knew he was about to face Esau, he prayed to God for deliverance. And I read in Proverbs 16 and 7 where it says, If a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. All right, this 20-year period of time prior to that, Jacob's ways was not pleasing to the Lord. But during this 20-year period of time, he's away from home. His ways are pleasing to the Lord. And the Lord... Uh, is going to make his enemies, in this case his own brother Esau, to be at peace with him. And when they come face to face, Jacob is astonished at the attitude of Esau. Anyway, I want to get down to the end where Isaac dies. And when Isaac dies, Esau and Jacob both bury their father Isaac. You're going to find also Ishmael and Isaac. When their father Abraham died, they both buried their father. Times like that, families need to be together. Families need to be united. And I like to see brothers close. And thank God my brother and I have a very, very, very close relationship. Have had it for years. We're brothers in the flesh. We're brothers in Christ. He's a wonderful, dedicated member of the, of the Primitive Baptist Church in Anchor, North Carolina. He's a wonderful deacon there. And his family's there. His wife's in their church. His son and wife and two grandsons and his, his uh, daughter. And so we, we're just abundantly blessed. We're blessed beyond measure, blessed beyond understanding just about. So here we find where Andrew and Peter, I believe, are just like that. And James and John are just like that. And you're going to find when they leave the synagogue, they're going to take uh, these two men with them. 
and open up their doors of hospitality, but they're not going to leave Jesus behind. Jesus is going along right there with them. So they get to the house, and you find again that the Apostle Peter has a mother-in-law, which means the Apostle Peter has a wife. Now, the Apostle Peter, there's things about the Apostle Peter that teaches me that there's no way that he could ever be the founder of the largest religious organization in this world, okay? First of all, the Apostle Peter's a married man. All right, it was in uh, 1074 that this organization made a decree that their and the clergy could not marry. The Apostle Paul Peter was a married man. The Apostle Peter also was a sinful man. In 1870, they declared the infallibility of the Pope. In 1870, you can declare a lot of things. That don't make it true. There is no man infallible on this earth. Never has been apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Peter certainly displayed that time and time and time again. The Apostle Peter was a sinful man. If you go to Luke chapter 5, you'll find where the Lord uh, performed a great miracle there. Uh, when they hadn't caught anything all night long, and he told them to go out and launch out in the deep. When they did, they caught so many fish, the ships uh, began to sink. All right? And the apostle Peter is going to come to shore. And what does he say about himself? He says, I am nothing but a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. The apostle Peter was a sinner, and he knew he was a sinner. The apostle Paul, Peter, excuse me again, also was a poor man. As you look in Acts chapter 3, you'll find a man where he's sitting by the wayside there begging, and Peter comes along, and uh, you're going to find where he's asked for alms. That means he was asking for some type of financial you know, reward, some type of help, assistance. And you're going to find where the apostle Peter says, Silver and gold have I none. Silver and gold have I none. As much as I have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, arise and walk. And that man arose and walked. God used Peter here to perform this miracle. Peter was a poor man. Peter was a sinful man. Peter was a married man. Also, you come to Matthew 23, verse 8, and the Lord Jesus Christ tells his disciples, he says, you call no man master, for you're all brethren. You're all the same. Call no man father, for you have one father, which is in heaven. He's talking about the heavenly father here. Then he says, uh, call no man, first of all, he says, call no man rabbi. For, and then he says, call a man master, for you have one master, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord tells his disciples not to call men one of three things. Don't call them rabbi, don't call them master, and don't call them father. And yet there's men down through the ages and today who go by all those titles. Wonder why. Wonder why they do that. I look over in the 111th Psalm, verse 9. It says, a holy and reverend is his name. The only time the word reverend's in the Bible is right here. It has reference to God. Wonder why men allow other men to call them reverend. It's right there in the Bible one time. It's not my name. It's not man's name. It's God's name. And yet people uh, call other men that all the time. Call other men father all the time. Call other men rabbi all the time. Call other men masters all the time. And the Lord Jesus Christ condemned it. One reason they do it, they don't read the Bible. The Bible will give you insight in a lot of things. The Bible will help you understand where a lot of these things have come from, and they come from, not from the Bible. I, and I say, again, as I've said many times in life, when somebody said, didn't they get that out of the Bible? I said, absolutely they got it out of the Bible. To the left of Genesis, to the right of Revelation, way out of the Bible. You don't find it contained within. You find it to the left of Genesis, to the right of Revelation over here. That's where you find it. And so the Apostle Peter is a married man. 
of the apostles, Paul was not married. Contrary to what some people try to make you think, he was not a married man. The other apostles, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But I know this, it's appropriate for a minister of the gospel to be a married man. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, If any man desire the office of bishop, he desireth a good work. He must be the husband of one wife. That does not mean he has to be married. It means he must be scripturally married. It means he must be biblically married. He cannot be married to two women at the same time. That was a problem they had back in biblical days. He must be the husband of one wife. That also tells me that a woman cannot be uh, a bishop because a woman cannot be the husband of one wife. I don't think. I mean, uh, if you want to get, <laughs> I ain't going to go into that. Uh, but we are living in a day and age when I guess technically somebody could try to circumvent that. But I'm telling you, a woman cannot be the husband of one man. Only a man can be the husband of one wife. What did I just say? Uh, a woman cannot be the husband. Anyway, a man must be the husband of one wife. We'll just leave it at that. So the apostle Peter goes along with Andrew. And they invite James and John and the Lord Jesus Christ to the house. His mother has a serious fever. She's very, very sick. Now, there's three accounts of this. You find one account in Matthew 8. You find one account in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And you'll find where Matthew tells us her fever was a great fever. Now, you know, if you got a 99.7 fever, you got a fever, but it's just a light fever, right? But if you take your uh, temperature and you're running 102, 103 degree temperature, uh, you better be seeing a doctor, right? That's what I call a great fever. Well, I believe that's the kind of fever this woman had. And so they call the attention of the Lord Jesus Christ to this fact here. Here's the Apostle Peter's mother-in-law, and she's got a serious fever. She's seriously sick. And the Bible tells us, and you'll notice three things if you uh, read these three accounts, where the Lord Jesus Christ stood above her, and he took her by the hand and held her by the hand and rebuked the fever, and the fever left. He rebuked the fever. Now, I was comparing, you know, oh, in the book of 2 uh, Timothy 4.2, the apostle tells Timothy to preach the word of God, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will teach, uh, what he put themselves, teachers having itching ears. What do you tell P, uh, Timothy to do? First of all, be instant in season and out of season. That means ministers who are men uh, don't always feel chipper. They don't always feel great, and that can even happen on a Sunday morning. They get up, they're just not feeling good. Well, you're not going to get a phone call from me saying, I'm sorry, I can't be with you today because I'm not feeling my best. I'll be here if I have to crawl through that door. I'm going to be here, Lord willing. Okay, I'm going to be here, Lord willing. I'm going to try to be instant in season and out of season. Sometimes I'm just out of sorts. Yeah, believe it or not, occasionally I get out of sorts. Usually it's with myself. I just got out of sorts with myself. I looked in the mirror on the Sunday morning and looked, I can't go to church. Look at me. This is me here. What, how, what can I do? I'm just out of sorts. I have to get things together in a hurry. Pre-instant, in-season, out-of-season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering. Notice the word rebuke. It's my responsibility from time to time to preach in a manner of way that would rebuke. But I've noticed my results of rebuking is not what the Lord got. 
The Lord rebuked this fever, and it went away immediately. Back up a few verses, you're going to find where he rebuked that unclean spirit of that man in the synagogue, and it left him immediately. The Lord, that first storm where disciples and him are on that ship in the sea, you're going to find where the Lord, who was asleep in the bottom, asleep in the bottom of that ship, came to the top of that ship. And the Bible says, he commanded and rebuked the winds and the sea. And the winds and the sea obeyed his rebuke. The unclean spirit obeyed his rebuke. The fever obeyed his rebuke. When the Lord commands and rebukes, there's results, right? <laughs> there's results. So the Lord has that power, not only on people, but also on things, and the wind and the sea and the unclean spirit and the fever of this man, or this woman rather. He rebukes it, and the fever leaves. <laughs> he took her by the hand. The Lord Jesus Christ specialized in the hands-on approach. I like that, don't you? Somebody says, you know so-and-so, you know, he's a real hands-on person. I mean, he likes to get right in there with it. You know what I mean? Well, that's the way the Lord Jesus Christ was. In the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark, just a little further down the road here, you'll find when they brought a man to the Lord who couldn't speak and he couldn't, uh, uh, he couldn't speak and he couldn't hear. And the Lord put his fingers in his ears and then he spit and he touched his tongue. Notice a hands-on approach, right? And all of a sudden, his ears were open. He could hear and his tongue uh, was loosened and he could speak plainly, the Bible says. And this is where you find in verse 37 where it says, For the Lord hath done all things well. I love that expression. For the Lord hath done all things well. What thing have you ever read about the Lord It wasn't done well? The Lord never failed. The Lord never came up short. When he spake, it was done, my friends. When he spake and commanded, it took place. He hath done all things well. In the very next chapter, you'll find where they bring a man to the Lord who's blind. And the Lord, the Bible says the Lord took him and led him out of town. Took him by the hand and led him out of town. And when he did, he put his, he, he spit. See, the, it's interesting to see all the things the Lord did. There were times when the Lord opened the eyes of the blind and never even touched them. But here, he led him by the hand out of town. And he spit. And he put his hands on his eyes. And he said, open thy eyes and tell me what you see. And he says, well, I, he, lifted, he looked up and he said, well, I see men walking as trees. The Lord put his hands back on his eyes. And the Bible this time says he made him look up. Now you got him looking up twice, but the second time says the Lord made him look up. I don't think he looked up high as he should have the first time. And if you don't look up as high as you ought to the first time, you're not going to see clearly. The first time he looked, he saw men like trees. He saw, but he, he, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't clear. So the Lord put it, see, I have said from time to time, I'm going to say it here this morning, the Lord never healed uh, progressively. The Lord never healed in stages. When the Lord healed, it was instantaneous. So I said, what about this occasion right here, Brother Lawrence? Well, let's look at it again. He put his hands on his eyes. He's blind. He looks up and he sees. Looks like to me it worked. But he didn't look up high enough. I'm telling you here this morning, you've got to look real high today. I mean, you've got to look higher than Washington, D.C. You've got to look higher than Nashville. You've got to look higher than the governor, higher than the president, higher than politicians. Thank God you've got to look higher than that. 
I saw something the other day that I thought was real good. Two things to get your uh, day off to a great start. One is you turn the news off. The second is, second is you don't step on the scales. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, I, I meant to bring this. Lord willing, I'll try to have it next Sunday. But I saw 10 New Year's resolutions, one of the church papers I've taken. I liked all 10 of them. And number one on the list was turn social media off. Social media has not been my friend. Social media has not been the minister's friend, the pastor's friend. I've been the church's friend. I just saw something this past week where people who are kin getting into it just like that on social media. It's the devil's, <laughs> the devil's instrument. I'll just say that for the most part. I know they're good things. I understand all that, so don't come telling me all that. I already know all that. I know there's good and positive things come about all that, but I'm telling you, get off of it. It'll make, you want to do something for me? Get off social media. <laughs> what can I do for your brother Lawrence? Get off social media. That's what you can do for me. I'm tired of making lawyers rich, right? I mean... <laughs> Nothing against lawyers, but the, the divorce has, has gone up, it's just spiked because of all this. Anyway, we're going to find here, uh, the Lord is going to rebuke that fever. The fever is going to lift. Now, if you look at the, the, the miracles that's listed in other places, you're not going to find the miracle of rebuking a fever in there. You see, when the Lord went, uh, told his disciples, go and tell John again these things, he said, go tell him the blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers are, are, clean, uh, the lep uh, lepers are cleansed, uh, the, dead have, uh, the dead are raised back to life again, and the lame walk, and the poor have the gospel to it. Nothing about getting fevers out. But there's three cases in the Word of God where the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with somebody really sick with a fever. And notice here, immediately after he rebukes this fever, his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, immediately arises and begins ministering to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a better way to show your thanksgiving to God what better way could you do that other than ministering? Hebrews 6.10. We find where the Apostle Paul emphasizes that. He said, God is not unrighteous. Forget your work and labor of love that you have ministered to the saints and doth minister. Nobody else may see it, but God sees it. He, he sees everything. And you'll be rewarded in it. If you go to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, you're going to find where there was a nobleman who had a servant, and he was very sick, and he come to the Lord, asked the Lord to do something about it. The Lord is going to heal him, and the Bible says he had a great fever and was nigh to death, and the Lord healed him. And uh, if you go to the 28th chapter of, of Acts, as we bring this to a conclusion here, and I want to say this, what starts off, what you might look at as a minor miracle, you might consider some a minor miracle. If I was to tell you to list all the miracles you read in the New Testament, I doubt most any of you would have listed rebuking a fever as one of them. Maybe you would. It might seem like a minor miracle, but it had major results. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ rebukes that fever and Peter's mother-in-law is healed and she ministers to him, the Bible then says that they came from many, from all various places there to the Lord Jesus Christ to heal them. And the Lord had to be up real late that night he had to be really wore out, really weary, really tired. But you know what the Bible says? It says that the Lord himself the next morning got up early, went out to the wilderness and prayed. He had time to meet with the Father. But Acts chapter 28, the Apostle Paul has been on that ship. You read that shipwreck in Acts chapter 27. 
And you'll find in that shipwreck where the Lord told Paul in a vision that everybody on that ship was going to be spared, but the ship was going to be totally destroyed. And it worked out just like the Lord said. That ship comes totally destroyed, but everybody on that ship, 276 people on that ship, most of them prisoners, wicked and evil men, not all, because you had the men of the ship that had to do the rowing and all that, and you had uh, Paul, and you had Luke, and you had the shipmaster, and you had the centurion. But most of them were prisoners, but the Lord said they're all going to be spared, and they were, and they wound up on this island. And they were well treated on this island. There were barbarous people on this island, but they received them, and they made a fire for them, and warmed them, and thawed them out, and dried them out. They were wet, and they were cold. But God and his providence put it in their hearts to do it. And there was a chief man on the island, his name was Publius. And his father was very sick with a very strong fever. And he courteously took care of Paul and all in for three days. And this reminds me of what the Lord told his apostles in Matthew chapter 10. The end of Matthew chapter 10, he says, He that receiveth me receiveth the Father, and who receiveth the Father receiveth me. And he says, Whoever receiveth a righteous man, the name of a righteous man, shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever receiveth a prophet, the name of a prophet, shall receive a prophet's reward. And whosoever giveth a cup of cold water, listen to this, a cup of cold water to one of these my little ones, shall in no wise lose his reward. You're going to find Publius here was given a cup of cold water to these, these men. Here's a man who received a righteous man. Here's a man who received a prophet. Here's a man who received one of God's little children who had never met, didn't know, but received him and gave him a place to stay and gave him food to eat and clothes to wear. And his father was extremely sick. And the apostle Paul, by the power of God, healed him. And the Bible says everybody on the island that had sicknesses came there and Paul healed them all. What started out as something little became very major. What started out as a, you might call a minor miracle, if you want to call it that. No, really no such thing, but if you want to look at it that way, it turned out to be a major thing. Many people were healed. And what turns out, what starts out as a blessing in your home, it ought to spread out. God's blessed you in your home, it ought to spread out. It ought to spread out and reach other people through your life, through your testimony, through your, the, the life that you live. It ought, to, it ought to spread out and embrace other people, right? That's one of the th lessons I believe is taught right here, how something that started small became very large. Uh, thank you so much. There will be no charge for overtime. It's on the house, okay?